0: Remember it like it was yesterday. My dad got a job transfer, and we had to move from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, to Douglasville, Georgia. <laughs> Douglasville was then a small town. Now it's been uh, swallowed up by a metropolitan Atlanta. But talk about culture shock! I was right in the middle of kindergarten. The other kids spoke with a southern drawl, and I spoke cheesesteak. Now, 8.30 didn't laugh at that, but you all got it. (laughs) And cheesesteak wit whiz, and if you've ever been to Philly, you know that's wit cheese whiz, or you can have it wit out, whatever you like. But that's where we were immersed there in the middle of kindergarten. I think the kindergarten teacher thought that I was struggling in art, and she took me to the guidance counselor's office. I sat down around a large table, and there were assorted wooden blocks of different colors and then crayons with no paper. You probably know what she was doing, testing me to see if I was colorblind. If they'd asked my mom and dad, they could have quickly said, well, we've known that for a while, but they were doing their job because I was a new student in a new school in the middle of the year. Over the years, I, well, I kind of adapted and figured out how to make it along with colorblindness. Thankfully, mine is not chronic. Some people can only see shades of gray, but uh, I I just make sure that I run the tie by my wife, Melanie, which I did today. Choir, and You could see that she's, she approved. And then if we're driving in a city where there are horizontal traffic signals, that's where I need to be extra careful because I do have red-green issues. A few years ago, my mom saw online these new glasses that came out to help people with Color blindness, and so she ordered me a set. For I can't remember if it was birthday or Christmas, but she had those shipped to me, and we were hopeful that they would be the cure. And they didn't work so well, so mom got her money back. If you're watching, mom, thank you for trying. Today you can get colorblind filters. You can get blue light filtering filters for your lenses. Uh, ultraviolet blocking lenses, light-reducing filters. You can even get uh, things to help prevent migraines. There are lenses for video gamers, and perhaps those lenses help Mario be even more super. Well, nonetheless, lots of you can look up all kinds of them for yourself. But filters can also distort the way that we see the world around us. The filter, for example, of implicit bias, when we see someone of a different skin tone or language or nationality or ethnicity and so forth. Or the filter of social media algorithms that tell us more and more of what we want to hear And show us more and more of what we want to see. And it's just an endless cycle of giving us what we want. Ignoring what is real often. Or the filter of partisan politics and constant cable news. Or the filters of looking at others in a way asking what can I get from them. Rather than asking what can I give to them. I want to suggest today that we only need one filter as Christian people, just one, the filter of the golden rule. When we become Christians, the Holy Spirit indwells us and transforms us. The Holy Spirit gives us a new set of lenses and the filter through which we are to see the world, and that filter is the golden rule. The golden rule enables us to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. Within the first year of his ministry, Jesus gathered with his disciples up on a mountain, top of a mountainside, and began to teach them. Many people crowded around to hear what he was saying to his disciples, what this new radical rabbi was all about. He said things like, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. He said, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. Turn the other cheek. If they ask for your tunic, give your cloak too. Walk the second mile. Love your enemies. He taught them to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He said, don't worry about tomorrow because each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge lest you be judged. The measure that you use will be the same one used on you. He reminded them to be careful of false prophets. All of this and more in the Sermon on the Mount. But there was one principle that was woven all through and he continued come back in one way or another, and finally, close to the end, he gave it to them. And he said it with clarity and focus. So, or therefore, in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Matthew 7 and verse 12, the golden rule. Sure, the rabbis had said similar things, but they were more in a prohibition type of command and more negatively driven, like the thou shalt nots in the Ten Commandments. But what Jesus said was fresh and new, and it changed everything. A few other translations, like the New American Standard, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. The new living. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. The message paraphrase. Here is a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. Jesus sums up the entire Sermon on the Mount in one sentence. In one phrase, he distills it, so that it is easy to remember. It's sort of the ultimate elevator speech. The law and the prophets summarized in one easy-to-memorize phrase. The golden rule would enable the disciples to reflect God's love and light in the world. long as they practiced it, God's light would shine through. If only it were as easy to live out as it is to memorize. Can you identify with that like I can? If only it were so easy to live out as it is to memorize. American poet Edwin Markham, who was born in 1852 and died in 1940, offers words to fellow strugglers along the way. He said, We have committed the golden rule to memory. Let us now commit it to life. It's not easy, but with God's grace and help, well, we can sure give it our best. The golden rule taps into what we established last Sunday when we studied the Old Testament story of Hagar in Genesis chapter 16. If you were away from us last week or haven't had a chance to see it on our website, I encourage you to go back and read Genesis 15 and 16 to get the bigger picture. But briefly, the story of Hagar was that she was maidservant to Sarai. Sarai was married to Abram. Abram and Sarai were unable to have children. So Sarai gave her maidservant Hagar over to Abram and there would be a child born that would hopefully be the heir to the family, continue along the blessing. And when this happened, there became enmity between Sarai and Hagar, and it got so bad that Hagar ran away. And it was on the desert road toward Egypt, that God sent an angel and spoke directly to Hagar. He helped her in her time of need, God did. And in that encounter, Hagar gave God the name El Roy. In Hebrew, it means the God who sees me. God saw her in her plight. And we took from that that God sees us as we are. God loves us as our true self. Borrowing the words from some of the devotional reading I've been doing by Richard Rohr, God sees us as our true self. He loves us. You and I are children of God. We are beloved. And God desires that we love ourselves as people who are created in the image of God. And we are called to love others just the same. I like what Brene Brown says. Our connection with other people is only as solid and deep as our connection to ourselves. It's okay to love ourselves, not in a selfish, prideful way, but as ones who are created in the image of a loving God. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. So the, go- the golden rule continues this line of thinking that we are to do to others as we would Have them do to us. Jesus is picking up on that ancient truth. Can you imagine if this were to be truly lived out in our marriages? If we treated our spouse as we would want them to treat us? Could you imagine the healing that would take place in our marriages? What about with our children, if we spoke to and treated our children in the way that we would want them to treat, or children, if we treated our parents in the way we wanted to treat them? Does that make sense? Or what about in the workplace, in the classroom, in the hallways at school? If the golden rule were to become contagious in our schools, could you imagine the healing that could take place? Could you imagine the end to the bullying that happens and so forth? What about our friendships or at a school board meeting or in a neighborhood association if Jesus were to show up (laughs) in the boards of supervisors or the state legislature or in the line at Walmart or in traffic, Lord help me, or in church? Can you imagine the way Things might look if Christians genuinely lived out the golden rule. Preaching to myself. We cannot expect non-believers to live up to this standard. Yes, we would like all people to embrace this level of kindness and compassion and love. But we, as Christians, we are infilled and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we, therefore, know the way We belong to one another. We treat one another in this way because we belong to one another. There are a bunch of one another statements in the New Testament. We are to encourage one another, to bear one another's burdens, to teach one another, to forgive one another, to understand one another. Understanding is part of our guiding North Star statement. Loving, understanding, and empathizing with our community and the world. We're to pray with and for one another. We're to serve one another. Not only would people be more kind and loving toward one another if they embrace this, but people just might be happier too. A fascinating study on the principle of the golden rule was conducted by a man named Bernard Rimland. He was the director of the Institute for Child Behavior Research. He founded, he had a child who they determined was autistic. And he founded two advocacy groups, the Autism Society of America and the Autism Research Institute. He did a a, a very uh, much of an in-depth study on happiness as it relates to the Golden Rule. And his survey found that the happiest people are those who help others. The happiest people are those who help others. In categorizing his results, he found that all the people labeled happy were also unselfish. And he wrote this. Those whose activities are devoted to bringing themselves happiness are far less likely to be happy than those whose efforts are devoted to making others happy. The happiest people are those who help others. And he concluded, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Mother Teresa said it this way, spread love everywhere you go. First of all, in your own house, let no one ever come to you without leaving better and happier. Be the living expression of God's kindness. Kindness in your face, kindness in your eyes, kindness in your smile, kindness in your warm greeting. The happiest people are those who help others. The happiest people are those who live out the golden rule. We may not always feel happy, but we are content. like Kenneth. Kenneth was uh, in junior high school, and he was excited and eager about participating in the day of Special Olympics. His parents cheered expectantly from the stands as he ran his race, and he was so proud of his ribbon when he won first place. Cheers from the crowd and his parents, you can imagine. And in his second race, he was out in front and was about to win And then Kenneth stopped, and he stepped off of the track, and another young person received first place, and it's ribbon. After his parents kind of went to him, Kenneth, why'd you do that? You were almost there. You were getting ready to win another ribbon. And he said, yeah, but um, mom and dad... Billy hadn't won a ribbon yet. So I stopped. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. The uniqueness of the Golden Rule is twofold two things. One, it is part of the essence of who God is. Simple. It is part of the essence of who God is. Our faith embraces us. Our faith compels us to embrace the golden rule. We cannot separate it from our identity as followers of God through Christ Jesus. Second, the golden rule exists within relationship. Our relationship to God as our creator and sustainer in life, Jesus, our Savior, and a relationship that we have with others. In other words, the golden rule is part of our covenant with God to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love neighbor as ourselves. We Christians are held to a higher standard, and we know it. And when we fail, we know better, and we need forgiveness and God's grace to to move on. That's the good news God always forgives when we go to God for forgiveness and gives us a fresh start. This was the driver for President Jimmy Carter. He's our 39th president, the oldest living president in the history of our country. Recently, as you know, went into hospice care at his home in Plains, Georgia, as a result of his battle with brain cancer. When President Carter was young, he was a lieutenant in the Navy, he was confronted with a very difficult decision. His father had a terminal illness, and and President Carter had to decide whether to stay in the Navy or leave the Navy, and he and Rosalind would go back to Plains and take over the family business in peanut farming. And he did the latter of the two. He felt God leading him. In that way, and God would lead him into the public spectrum of politics as well, as you know. In his book, Living Faith, he talks about the critical decision that he and Rosalind made to go back to Plains, and he writes, This set of principles rooted in my Christian faith has both shaped me and has been shaped by my personal experiences and it remains to this day a central element of my identity. He continues, It is difficult for any of us to assess our own habits and actions objectively. Without a set of guidelines, it is not possible to acknowledge and correct the mistaken beliefs and habits that need to become a way of life. President Carter calls these guidelines, Guiding lights. Now, some of you all think that's the soap opera. Maybe so. But his guidelines were guiding lights. And he states that we must not set our sights any lower. These guiding lights include kindness, humility, compassion, forgiveness, mercy, and sacrificial love. President Carter states, for all of us, particularly people of faith, there is a higher expectation as expressed for me by Jesus. All things, he says, he, all things, whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets, Matthew 7 12. That's the version he loves. For us today, we can simply say, treat others as you would have them treat you. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. He concluded, Jesus demonstrated this in his life, how this rule should be put into practice. For Christians, it is not just one of the general rules of our religion, but President Carter says it is the rule concerning personal behavior in the world so what's this look like what's the picture i like how the apostle paul gives us a picture it's like god has picked out a new wardrobe for us where paul writes to the colossians in chapter 3 starting at verse 12 therefore as god's chosen people holy and dearly loved Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And whatever you do, verse 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do to others as you would have them do unto you.